Hey, Scott. Hey. Did they win? No, I lost 3 2. Uh, who was tonight? Augusta. They're 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 really good. Are they? Yeah, they uh, I mean, obviously 3 2 we could have won. We we're up one nothing, down two on all these goals happened like in a span of fifteen minutes. Ooh. Up one nothing, down two one, tied it, and then they scored a go ahead goal. Um defense just didn't push up, they lost it over the top and guy knocked it in. Mm. And unfortunately, they only had two referees. And man, it's so hard to officiate a game of that magnitude with just two referees. I mean, I mean, there's one kid. There, there's a kid. There's a, one of the kids, or one of the referees, was just a kid, and you could tell he was probably brand new to this. And I'm just thinking, man, they, he shouldn't be doing a game of this caliber at this skill level. I mean, he's just not ready for it. So, but I mean, you got to go with what you got. Sometimes, I mean, that may have been all they had. Who knows? I mean, we only had two officials for the McPherson game too. But uh, we were told the center referee got sick that afternoon. And I'll tell you something else, Scott, is I was supposed to do uh, Winfield at Goddard on Monday. And Newman University called me and said, hey, Brad, we need another another ref for our women's uh, JV game. Can you do it? I said, how much? They said $100. I said, yeah. And I told my high school guy, look, they're giving me more money for less work. I'm going to take it. I'm sorry. Don't got a lot of choice there. No, I mean, Goddard, I'd have to be there. I'd have to leave work at 2.30 to go home, get my stuff, and then, you know, be there by 4. Do JV, do varsity. I'm probably out of there by 8 o'clock, home at 9. Or I can get off at a regular time, you know, 4 or so, run home, grab my stuff, head to Newman, get there, do a, do a, a JV women's game, essentially. That's not going to be very taxing or anything. And get more money for it and be home at the same time. <laughs> and do one less game. Yeah, and do one less game. I mean, it's – I mean, a part of me felt bad, but I was like, who wouldn't do this? <laughs> so high school gives you 50 a game? Uh, if you do JV and varsity – I'm not sure what the City League pays right now, but AVCTL, if you do JV varsity, will give you 90. And if you do uh, just the varsity center, you get 80. Okay. And I'm getting 100 to do this uh, Newman game on Monday. All right. Yeah. So. We get no-brainer there. Yeah, pretty much. How'd the cross-country meet go? Uh, Hot. Yeah, it was pretty toasty. Wow. Yeah, we I, uh, we went to this one because my great-nephew that runs for Circle. Uh-huh. Uh, probably the only time I'm going to get to see him run this year. And he... He fully admits it. He says, I don't like it and I don't run as well in the heat. So he mm-hmm. he uh, actually had a teammate come in in front of him today, which is unusual. But Southeast of Celine was there and we saw them run at the Bueller meet. And they took, well, in this meet, they took first, second, uh, first, second, fourth, and fifth. Mm-hmm. Wow. Or first, or was it first, second, third, and fifth? Yeah, wow. you know, Bueller or uh, Circle was fourth and sixth. Blake came in, and the great nephew came in at sixth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Southeast. The best thing about that is they're only what two or three A, and yeah, Circle's they're pretty four. small. So he he gets the better weather. He's he's a uh, he's got a crack at at uh, taking state. Is that at Wamigo this year or Rimrock? Uh, Wamigo. 
Okay. They ran okay. Rimrock last weekend and Yep. Yep. I heard about that. Four lightning delays before they ran the varsity boys, at least. Yep. Some guy that I work with went there and he was just saying that, you know, it's because it's lightning delay, you know, they reset the clock every time and you know, you don't know if that la- that last strike is the last strike. So and Rimrock's just far enough away where you know, if, if you get back in your car and try to leave, are you going to make it back in time? Mm-hmm. So he said they just decided to stay. He's like, you know, just sitting there in the car, rain, lightning, but, you know, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, my our niece, she said how many times she went back to the car and everybody's just kind of hanging out because they were supposed to run at 10 and I think they ran about one. Oh, wow. Oh, and- wow. You got all these runners warming up, cooling off, warming up, cooling off. All you know, everybody's saying, "Oh, I didn't run very well." You know, there's a bunch of runners that weren't real happy about the situation, but I don't know what you do. Yeah, not what you can do. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'm ready to get started whenever you are. Oh, I'm going get rid of this yawn. Okay. Yep. <laughs> all right. We'll go in five, four. Three, two, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Hallier. And and correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, it, it, it is the end of September, right? Feeling like uh, early like September. What? I mean, late August, early September. I mean, it's ridiculous, this heat that we're experiencing right now. Uh, I went to a cross-country meet today, and I think, uh, I know one person I met there, that when they left home, they said 100 on their thermometer, and... Uh, boy, bless those runners. They were out there, people handing them water. And it was, boy, it was a tough day to be out there running cross country, needless to say. Yeah. Yeah. I was in, you know, it's kind of the, the unfortunate thing. Uh, my son plays soccer for Bueller and the sun's still, you know, it hasn't set yet behind those trees when the game starts. And, it's, and you know, the sun's been cooking those aluminum bleachers all day. And oh. you know, the first, the first, first 20, 30 minutes of, uh, you know, when you get there are pretty uncomfortable. Well, we're in the comfort of our homes here, so let's. Uh, it's going to be warm this weekend again, very windy for high school and college football, at least here in central Kansas. Let's uh, let's start off with some high school talk tonight. Well, it's before we get into some of the particular games, Brad. I know some of the big talk this week is Keisha came out with all the new classifications. Uh, at least the ones that kind of jumped out to me, maybe in the bigger classes that made some moves that will impact some things is uh, Mays going back to 6A, uh, Capon going down to 4A. Those were the kind of the big ones in this area of the bigger schools. And then I'm sure everybody in 3A was real happy about this, Topeka Hayden moving from 4 <laughs> to 3a i'm sure everybody's real thrilled about that but uh, what else stood out to you maybe in some of the new classifications well looking at uh starting off with uh with football um since you know that we primarily talk about that you know mays and wichita west have moved up to uh to 6a uh capen dropped to 4a in football uh while aquinas moved to 5a um st james also moved to 5a so essentially you're you're getting rid of the two two of the three mega powers and now you're replacing them with a rising power in Capen. Uh, boy, it's, you know, Scott, the, the unfortunate thing with foray with Capen being on foray and look, we don't know what's going to happen year to year, 
But 4A West in football has been one of the most competitive and open battles every year to see who gets to the state championship game. And, boy, I just uh, – I fear that we c- – I hate to say it, but I mean, we could see some years where the state championship games already decided with uh, Miesh playing Capen. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Like I said, and then Hayden going into 3A. Of course, Andale's sitting there as well in th- staying in 3A. Um, some of the other smaller moves I saw uh, Central Plains, Canton Galvo going to be going back up from D2 to D1. Now, what I didn't quite comprehend is when you see some of the schools like they list mound ridge as far as like going um to one a i didn't get that if that meant that they would be going back to play 11 man football or if they would still be able to stay at eight man how did you uh, comprehend that well i believe um i'll try to I got my screen open here so i'm going to toggle between this document here so mound ridge as you said is now one a in football and mound ridges uh football enrollment for the next two years let's see if i can find a quick like here scott uh mound ridge mound ridge where are you mound ridge i'm still i'm still looking for they're there wow they're at 122 now which makes them the fourth biggest 1a school in football now and in order to play eight man your enrollment has to be under 100 okay so that will force them back into 11 man yes correct and um uh, some other schools that are making the jump back up would be, well, we got Topeka Care Paravel, South Sumner, which is a co-op between Caldwell and South Haven. Uh, Maranatha Academy, a private school in, in Shawnee, is going to 11-man football. Highland is going back to 11-man. Harrington is going back to 11-man. Bennington is going, Bennington's been 8-man for quite a few years now, I believe, Scott, and they're going back to, to 1A. Okay. I, I think the one thing I like about Mound Ridge going back um, to 11 man, hopefully they can get that rivalry back with Inman. That was always, to me, it was a shame when they went to eight man that those two weren't playing. So maybe they can get that rivalry back. I'd love to see them play again. Yeah, that would be neat to see some of those rivalries come back. I always, I was at Mound Ridge last week and I just still felt kind of odd to me them playing um, eight man football, but you know, one thing I was uh, uh, one other observation I want to throw in here, Scott, is that there are four new six-man uh, teams. Uh, South Barber going down to eight-man. Uh, Otis Bison Weskin is bringing back football, uh, so they'll be playing six-man football. But uh, some schools that went up were Waverly, Tribune, and Lost Springs and Deerfield. Ash Ashland is now eight-man after they're, they're, they've been a six-man power these last couple of years. But what kind of surprised me, Scott, is uh, – Six uh, six man football was introduced uh, two years ago, and there's 24 schools playing. Well, now there's only 22. Now I'm guessing Keisha is still going to sanction the state championship, even with just 22 schools. But they've actually lost two uh, schools overall. So I'm I'm kind of wondering, are do some of these schools think that six man just isn't real football, or is it more geographical? You know, maybe some schools out east that want to play six man there's just not that many schools around them that play six man uh what do you think is going on with that oh you know i've i've actually talked to some eight man coaches that despise six man um they don't think it's like you said they don't really think it's real football um i think some geograph i mean obviously if you could just get one or two eastern kansas schools they're not going to want to travel clear out to uh, you know, to Cunningham or out to uh, 
further west to uh, Bird City to Shyland to, to you know to play a game. Um, so I think geographic hurts you with some smaller schools maybe in the east, but I think it's a combination of, and, and I certainly don't want to see uh, six-man go away um, as far as a state sanction. And I, and I don't think it will. Hopefully after um, the next cycle around, there'll be some other schools that can drop back down into six-man. Or, you know, if, if you really want to keep it alive, and keep it going. You may have to look at um, redrawing those lines a little bit, so some of your um, eight-man Division two teams can qualify and, and maybe make that division bigger. I, I'm a proponent of making a big six-man division and having one eight-man division. I know that would come up against a lot of resistance initially, especially. That's where I'd like to see us go to start paring down instead of you know ever adding more um, divisions in Kansas. I think the cutoff, and correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, I believe it's 60 right now for six-man football. And if you look at eight-player division two, uh, only one, two, three, four, only six schools in eight-man division two are over 60 or at 60 or over right now, which means pretty much everybody else is eligible for six-man football unless it's 55. But even then, if it is 55, which is the biggest six-man div- uh, uh, school the next two years, uh, if it's if the threshold is 55, that's still more than half of eight man division two. So maybe it's one of those things where, you know, like, like you said, maybe they raise the threshold to, I don't know, maybe 70 to, to drop uh, potentially down to six man. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just I, I just fear that as this as these enrollment numbers continue to uh, to kind of toggle, I guess, you know, some will get bigger, some will get smaller that some of these schools won't be eligible for six-man football anymore. And then you just have fewer schools that maybe want to play six-man. And I, I, I just – I don't want to see six-man football go away, I guess. I mean, I know it's different. I know, like you said, some schools probably don't consider it real football. But you know what? It's better than the alternative, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we, we see schools – quite a few – you know, Centralia is a great example. They still play 11-man, and they're, they've been eligible for eight-man for – quite some time but they still choose to play 11 man and i know that's what some of these schools are doing um you'd have to ask them for the specific reasons i do know some that just don't just don't like six man um and i know there's some that would play it if they you know would qualify for it so i i do i think that's something especially here in another couple years when they start looking if that's going to dwindle further um from 22 they're going to have to look at take a hard look at maybe making some changes um, to the, to the lines where they draw, you know, this is your enrollment for eligible, but th- th- I think there's some tough decisions coming up here in a couple of years that they're going to have to look at some things. Yeah. Yeah. I agree because uh, you know, I don't want to see six man football go away. I think these teams that play six man football that are, never going to be big enough again probably to play eight man i mean you look at schools like burton with 40 uh they're probably never going to get back over that threshold to play eight man football uh otis bison 34 uh peabody burns 43 cunningham 44 i mean cunningham didn't have football for several years scott they had a co-op yeah a lot of those years chase. and i yeah yeah uh, i just you know chase is down to 25 i mean they're never going to get back up to the point where they're going to be able to sustain an eight man uh program I, I just I, I'd rather see six man football grow instead of shrink. And, you know, I think that, the, like you said, there's going to be some hard conversations these next couple of years because 
it may not seem alarming right now with with still 22, but you get two more schools or three more schools maybe to leave, and, and your net is minus two or three next time around. It might be hard to justify to still have a sanctioned six-man championship. Yeah, it, it would be, and I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I want to find a way to sustain it and grow it and not – go the other way so i hope i'm sure they're already talking about it but i'm sure those talks in another year year or two certainly in two years they're going to intensify and hopefully um, they'll come up with a good solution uh well as we look at some of the games this week we'll kind of review some of the games from last week uh brad i had one of the i think you got home in time to watch this because you had a halftime game last week uh our game time game of the week on your view last week, East at Northwest had one of the craziest finishes I think I've ever seen. Um, of course, Northwest was ranked number two in 6A. East was two and two, loaded with talent. It shot themselves in the foot um, in their two losses. Uh, East trailed by 14 in the fourth quarter, so about 8 20, 25 left. Um, they had gotten the game tied. A couple of quick scoring drives and we're on a, what was potentially a game winning drive. They get stopped. They decide, okay, they're going to go for a, about a 39 yard field goal. And one of their best receivers was happened to be the holder. And they'd had trouble earlier in the game on the snaps and the holds. Well, lo and behold, here we go again, a lower snap the holder can't get it down. So he just takes off, uh, breaks a couple of tackles, races, Around the left side, which would have been the, the the big side of the field, the wide side, the ball was over on the right hash. And right at the pylon, he gets drilled. And I make the call as if East is going to win it, but I'm looking at the officials and nobody's got arms up. So they get together. We're looking at the replay. Clearly the kid's leg and ball hit the pylon, got across the pylon. And good job of the officials. They came together and, and gave it the touchdown sign. And, you know, East pulls the, the big upset over Northwest, but it was, it went viral. I'm told it was all over Twitter and stuff the, uh, that night and the next day, but just a, a bizarre ending and a huge win for East. First week of the season or after the first week, Scott, I ranked Washburn rural. Now, what does that have to do with East? Just go with me here. Yeah. Washburn rural beat East the first week of the season. And I remember thinking, you know what, you know, Washburn rural has been pretty decent. East is supposed to be pretty decent this year. Actually, I had someone call me out on that. said, oh, East isn't very good. Uh, I wonder where that guy is at now. Um, did, did I expect East to beat Northwest or did many not? No, I, I don't think many of us did. But it just also goes to show how good East is. Um, they're, they're, they've been pretty competitive this, these last few years. Well-coached team. Uh, man, what, 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 that, that's a signature win for that program. Well, in the thing in the in the uh, rural game, they lost by one, and I think they had three interceptions, two fumbles, and turned it over on downs twice, and lost that game by one on the road. Um, still in this game against Northwest, their East is their own worst enemy, Brad. I think they had thirteen penalties in this Northwest game, and still uh, found a way. I had a couple of fumbles lost found a way to win the game and it really spoke when they got down 28, 14, I, I told my colleague, I said, this is over. I, th- I thought they were done. Um, and they score on the next play from scrimmage on a, on an option keeper. And I thought, okay, maybe they're not done. And yeah, it, it was a signature win. And if they play a clean game, 
or keep the penalties down to four or five or in that neighborhood. Um, I think you mentioned it last week. Uh, who would like to see them in the opening round of the playoffs? Well, with the schedule lightening for um, for East, I think they're probably going to look at going six and two, five and three at the very worst. And so if they go six and two, though, that means they're headed into the playoffs with a six game winning streak, probably a first round home game. And then, boy, I tell you what, they're they're going to play someone good in the second round. And uh, I'm not I'm, I'm not exactly throwing confetti about that. I'm I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, we have to play East in the second round. Winners of six and we're probably now seven straight, including beating Northwest. Uh, East is um, watch out for them. Yeah, uh, just, just 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 if, if they can clean themselves up, this is a team that could make a deep run. And they they really could. I mean, I they're just they're loaded. Their offensive talent, I would stack them up against anybody. They just have uh, they've got a great quarterback, great back in the backfield, uh, three four receivers that'll catch the ball. Their defense was much, it tackled much better um, than the previous game we'd seen them in against Northwest. I agree. They 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 could be a a big threat. Um, our game this week, Brad, I've been looking forward to this one since our schedule came out on the game time game of the week on your view, Cox channel 22, the rumble on the river. It's being billed, Brad maze and maze South at beautiful riverfront stadium in Wichita, home of the Wichita wind surge. I don't know if you've seen the, the video of the field online that's been circulating. Um, they've got the infield all nice and sodded, ready to go for this schedule they've got i see friends even added one of their home games will be played there in november um maze maze south you know the maze t- lost a ton of course avery johnson bryce cahoon both d1 players gone from a year ago but their two losses are by a total of five points one's andover central and granted one not a great loss to newton um their new quarterback is playing well um South has got a great quarterback, and it is Brad. I would have loved to have thrown to this group of receivers. They're, they have one kid that's five ten. Everybody else is six two or taller in this receiving core. The tight end is six six. Um, both teams love to throw the ball. Now it's supposed to be really windy tomorrow. Uh, a lot of that'll be blocked there out of the southwest by the grandstands and everything there at um, Riverfront. But I'm psyched about this game. I got to get down on the field too a little bit before the game, but this should be a great game between these two rivals. Yeah, it's uh, this is, I think, what the point of bringing football to Riverfront was, to have, you know, the entire northwest section of Wichita and in the maze will be there. It should be a pretty good game, and, uh, you know, May South probably likes their chances to end this losing streak that they have to Mays. Yeah, they, we get to talk to the coaches every week, and both of them are excited. And yeah, I think May South is—they're feeling like uh, he's really happy not to have to prepare for Avery Johnson. I can tell you that. Um, he kind of laughed when we said that, but uh, it should be a fun one there in Wichita. I know Bueller Mac coming up in that series a little bit later in the season. Uh, speaking, you had Mound Ridge last week, Brad. Uh, this is a big game. For Mound Ridge, we both think they could make a deep run in the playoffs. They're going to host Little River this week. Little River, I think, three and one after last week. Mound Ridge has not lost. What do you see in this one? Mound Ridge is good. They're 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 legit. They've got a great running attack. They can throw it a little bit, but um, it's just a punishing ground game uh, and and just a, a swarming defense. I saw them last weekend. They, they beat, uh, you know, undermanned uh, Pretty Prairie, uh, Mercy Rule, in the first half. So, 
if Mountain Ridge wants to show that they're ready to take that next step, this is the kind of game they got to win. You know, 48, 48 nothing over Pretty Prairie, you know, beating Wichita Independent 60 to nothing. That, 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 that's all great. Uh, quality went over El Saline earlier this year, 32 6. But at the end of the day, if they're ready to take that next step and show that they're ready to become a contender, uh, this is the team that has to be in, uh, in Little River. Yeah, absolutely. Also, it's a tough district. Um, this is a big district game. And I would call it, I know this isn't the Little River teams of the past um, three, four years. They're, they're still a good team. And this could be a real signature win um, for Mound Ridge if they can pick up this victory. Another team, Brad, that you and I thought could be sneaky good this year. And they're going to stop sneaking up on people because they need to pay attention. It's the Sterling Black Bears. Uh, now three and one, they host uh, Medicine Lodge. You anticipate any trouble for Sterling this week? You know, Medicine Lodge is actually much improved. I think this year, uh, lost by just six to Conway Springs, lost by just fourteen to Garden Plain. Uh, two big victories before that over Chaparral and Bell Plain. I think Medicine Lodge is very much improved this week. And if I'm Sterling, you know, you're that. Th- this almost feels like a trap game for Sterling. You know, Sterling's got Conway coming up. They've got Trinity. Back-to-back road games uh, coming up against Conway and Trinity. That will decide a lot about this district. But, you know, if you if you want to have a home playoff game and if you want to maybe have a chance at winning a couple playoff games, uh, Sterling can't, can't trip up this week. Uh, I just kind of have a sneaky feeling this could be a little bit tougher game than maybe we're anticipating. Uh, I would completely agree with that schedule coming up. Uh, Sterling better better strap it on tight if they want to get to 4-1. and one. Um, for those two games coming up. Uh, another, this is kind of a critical game, I think, for both of these teams in district play. Inman at Trinity Catholic. Um, Inman taking some lumps. Well, they took some lumps against Sterling last week. They play at Trinity Catholic. Very intriguing ball game. This feels like, Brad, the loser of this game is in deep trouble um, getting into the playoffs. Yeah, Trinity off to a two and two start. A quality win last week, though, over uh, previously undefeated Ellen with thirty-five to eight. Really, other than that forty-two loss to Cedric to open the season, Trinity's put, put together three pretty good performances in a row. Lost to uh, Marion, uh, comfortably beat Remington, comfortably beat Ellenwood. Yeah, this is, I think, uh, this is probably more of a must-win for Inman than it is for Trinity. You know, Inman. One and three now. Uh, it's such a loaded district. Uh, you probably at this point would say that Sterling, Trinity, and Conway, I would think, would be th- if you said name three teams that you think of the four that will that will make it. Those would probably be three. The last playoff spot, uh, boy, it's it's going to be uh, it's pretty much open. I think uh, among Medicine Lodge, Inman, and Ellenwood. And if uh, you know if Inman wants to try to get kind of a an, an early upper hand into into nudging their way into the playoffs. They, they they need to win this one. Yeah, this this feels like maybe more of a must win here for Inman, um, but I think it's I think it's huge game um, to determine somebody's fate as far as playoffs or not playoffs. There, Inman at Trinity Catholic, um, perusing the schedule a little bit. Winfield at Mac. Uh, I, I foresee Mac winning that game pretty easily. This is an interesting one here on 96-7. Heston at Kingman. Uh, you know, Kingman lost some key players from that state runners-up team a year ago, but I think they're surprising people a little. Heston always a good program. They're off, I think, to a 2-2 two and two start, if I'm correct. That Again, that, that could be – that's your game. What have you learned about this one? What do you look for tomorrow night? 
Well, Heston had a pretty tough start with uh, two losses to Hoisington and Pratt, but, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to lose to Hoisington and Pratt. Came back with a uh, – a, went over Hillsborough where they were up big, and then Hillsborough nearly came back and pulled off a miracle win, but then Heston with a big win over Trini- uh, Wichita Trinity last week. So they're they're starting to play much better. It's a non-district game, 3A against 2A. But, you know, I got to give Keeman credit. I mean, uh, they lost quite a bit from last year. They do have some pieces back, and they've rattled off three comfortable wins in a row, including over Conway Springs. And then, uh, you know, stepping out of district play before they wrap up with three straight district games. So, you know, even though Kingman made it to the championship game last year and lost and, and lost some great players from that team, uh, they, they've kind of shown themselves as, uh, you know, uh, sustaining a program and not going away. And Mulvane at Bueller. Good uh, game. Bueller, boy, Bueller playing awful well. But that Mulvane, that's one of those teams that always seems to give Bueller fits. Um, and and I, look for, I look for that again tomorrow night. Yeah, and boy, have you looked at the 4A West standing, Scott? Oh, I haven't, uh, I haven't this week. Boy, you know, we talked about how it's always wide open. Well, right now, the top six teams are all three and one. There's no undefeated teams left in, in 4A West. And wow. then so after you get to, past those top six teams that are three and one, the next three are two and two. So there is literally one game separating the top seed and a first-round road game right now. And Mulvane and Mulvane and Bueller currently are two of those three and one teams. Wow, that is a well, there's gonna be some huge games here the next few weeks for, for seeding here in the West in four A. This is one of them. Um, of course then it'll go to a tiebreaker if they ended up with the same record. So that's a huge game in Bueller as always on ninety five nine. These other two games, Brad, it just it just doesn't get any better. For Smoky Valley and Lions this week, Smoky Valley's at Cheney, who's just been on a tear this year, and Lions at Ellsworth. Uh, do we have any hope for upsets in these two games? Uh, no. I mean, Cheney no. has the kind of team that might be able to challenge Andale this year, and if you're good enough to challenge Andale, I don't think you have really much to worry about there. And as far as Ellsworth, you know, had a kind of a breakthrough season last year, and they returned almost everybody. Uh, so Ellsworth, uh, not, not a lot of history there. Southeast of Selene still pretty darn good. And then of course you got Kingman on that half. You got Hoisington on that half, but, uh, you know, Ellsworth might be a, they'll, they'll be a tough out. Uh, they, they've, they've really got off to a good start. They beat Beloit already this year and three comfortable wins that they smashed Hillsborough, who's much improved this year. So no, I don't give Lions much of a chance to uh, make this even competitive. Brad Lions has not scored. This season, and you look at their schedule, Scott. And it's they got Southeast coming up. Oh my gosh, Halstead, Hillsboro. I mean, there's no easy games left in there. And uh, you know, we we both have spoken well of Carl Nolan, and he had a very good first season. I think they went three and five in that first season. And uh, man, it's it, it's 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 a tough gig right now. Whoever can get Lions football going again. It's it's going to take a while because you're going to have to start building at the youth level. Yeah, because I, I think that the junior high is having some tough seasons as well. So, you know, you kind of <clears throat> a lot of people look, well, the junior high is really good. There, there's some 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 guys coming. Um, they're not saying that in Lions. Um, and that's my alma mater. It, it, it's it's tough to see. I, I see the scores coming in every Friday night and I see the halftime score. And it's like, man, it's just. It's got it demoralizing. It's hard to build a program, hard to get kids out when you know you're you're getting your teeth kicked in every week. Yeah, yeah. It's 
who, you know, who wants to be a part of that? I mean, that, yeah. that, let's, let's just be honest. You know, who wants to be a part? You know, if, if you're a good athlete, good basketball player, and Lions has good basketball. You know, if you're a good basketball player, good uh, track runner, and, uh, you know, you're not doing anything in the fall, I mean, it's kind of a hard sell to go out and lose every game by 40, 50, 60 points. Yeah, or risk injury. Um for your other sports. So uh, the full Ad Astra schedule, of course, can be re- viewed at adastraradio.com. Uh, Salt Talks, tough loss to Derby last week. I think actually outgained uh, Derby. Did they rebound this week? Yeah, I got it right here. Let me bring up my district standings here. Yeah, they've down 20 to nothing. Got down to, I think, 27-17 was the final against Derby. Yeah, they had more first downs. Uh, just really tough first half for the Salt Hawks, and they just never completely. Yeah, twenty-seven, seventeen. Uh, they play winless Salina South. The schedule does lighten up for the Salt Hawks the rest of the way. Uh, Salina South, uh, former state power, just really can't get it going again. I do like the Salt Hawks come back this week, and maybe trying to trying to build some momentum for the postseason. Yeah, the the South, Salina South, and Wichita South have really just been taking her on the chin this year. When you when you look at some of the uh, five six a type scores so i do look for hutch to a rebound this week um moving into the collegiate level brad it was another brutal road trip for the sterling warriors last weekend uh fell 48 10 to number nine southwestern that touchdown came with about 30 seconds left in the game it was a very beautiful um touchdown pass uh, but the rest of the game was just the uh, it followed kind of the same script, Brad. The The defense came out, um, got stops early in the game, but the offense couldn't move the football. Um, second possession, they got a pick in the end zone. Kid was going to try to come out to make a return out of it, and Turf Monster got him, and he went down on the two. Uh, and then I think the second play from there, uh, holding call in the end zone, safety, and then a good return on the free kick. And a quick touchdown after that kind of got the ball a rolling um, for Southwestern. The, the biggest thing that stuck out to me, Brad, and, and I think at some point the Warriors are going to have to try to slow their offensive tempo down because they're just putting the defense out there too long. 43-17 to 17 was time of possession in that ballgame. Oh, man. And Southwestern was much more deliberate than we'd seen offenses be this year, but they just – absolutely wore them down to a frazzle um, by the third quarter. And I, I think they've got to look at trying to make it a more minimal possession game. I know they want to go fast, but if you don't get enough first downs, it's just putting your defense in a tough situation. Yeah. If you don't have the personnel to do it, then, um, and I know you're you know, trying to build a program and all that, but uh, you know, the they got some of their tougher games coming up. You know, they got friends coming up. They've got Tabor coming up. Um, I see K-Dub and Avila still on the schedule. So they got some pretty tough games coming up. And But here's the thing, Scott. If you look at their schedule, every road game has been a blowout. And frankly, they should be 2-0 and at home, though. And I actually work with one of the friend's assistant coaches. And believe me, they're on high alert right now. Well, friends comes in, Brad. They have the number one rushing attack in the nation. Terry Harrison's triple – the old-fashioned triple option – uh, they are absolutely rolling, and they ju- and there's probably I, I don't think I exaggerate six running backs 
um, and that averaged 40 plus yards a game. I mean, they just rotate the backs and they got a great quarterback runs that triple option. Well, I think he averages over a hundred rushing yards a game and Brad, and then they suck you in and they've gotten some easy, easy touchdowns over the top this year out of the play action. They just pound that triple option. Um, I like that it's in Sterling. It's on that chopped up field. It's not in good shape. It's grass. I think they should water it about five inches Friday night um, and try to slow it. But they've got to find some way um, to get off the field as a defense because friends can go. They can break the big play, but I looked in their last game and they had a couple of those. 11 to 12, 14 play drives that take six, seven minutes off the clock and, and, and get points. And those, those are just killers. Um, so they've got to find some way. And when their offense is out there, they've got to get first downs. As you mentioned, they've played much, much better at home. If, if I added it up correctly, they've been outscored 156 to 13 on the road in three games. But as you mentioned, should be two and Oh at home. So, um, I give them a fighting chance, but if, if they can't get off the field defensively and, and move move the chains a little bit, it could be another long afternoon. Yeah, and it's also one of those games where, you know, if if the, the, the triple option can be a, an unstoppable force, but it can also be your own worst enemy if you start putting the ball on the ground. And if Friends has one of those games where maybe they put it on the ground early, you know, Sterling's got to take advantage of that and get the ball. Uh, you know, we've – you know, I've seen some salt hot games through the years where they would have five, six fumbles and, and not lose a single one of them. And they lose yardage, of course, but, uh, you know, they, they might win that, you know, by two touchdowns and Randy John be like, yeah, we were lucky tonight. And, you know, he's absolutely right. Uh, that's the thing about the triple option. Like I said, it can be an unstoppable force, but it can also be your own worst enemy sometimes. Yeah. The, the best ingredient it's a triple option is to get them down about 14, 17 points. Yeah. And the second half where they have to throw the ball. Um, so that'll be the ultimate goal for the Warriors before um, they get their bye week universal bye week coming up first Saturday in October for the entire KCAC. Uh, we move uh, to the junior college ranks. No trouble. Uh, we didn't expect it for Hutch with Coffeeville. Correct me if I'm wrong. Thirty-seven to seven was at the final. Yeah, and guess what? It wasn't a. It was a defensive touchdown for for Coffeeville. So the Blue Dragon defense has still only allowed one touchdown this year, and it came in garbage time late against Ellsworth. Wow, they are they're rolling. And next next up for the Blue Dragons is. Butler, tough one this weekend. Butler's going to be honoring one of their national championship teams. Three and one, Butler. They played much better since the season opening loss to Garden City. Um, this this is probably going to be their toughest game, I think, going uh, before you know Iowa Western, which isn't until November. I know Drew Dallas will probably slap me if he heard me say that because <laughs> uh, they still have Highland. And boy, Highland, did you see this, Scott? Highland beat Garden City three to nothing. Three to nothing. Right? In the, in the modern day age of college football, there's a three nothing game. So, uh, but that game's at Highland. Weird things happen. But I, I, this, this one has a little bit of a, I, this one could be pretty tricky for the Blue Dragons. Uh, th- this, I think, could be uh, one of their toughest games of the season. Yeah. And, you know, a few years back, of course, it would have been when Butler was, you know, rolling every season. They've had a few down years. But yeah, that sounds like, 
that could be a tremendous game this weekend. As we also hope, Brad, there will be one down in Austin, Texas this weekend. I had the, had the weeks mixed up. I thought KU had Central Florida this week, but they're going to make the trip down and play, I believe, still number three Texas in the national rankings. But before we talk about Texas, we got to talk about the BYU win at home 38-27 this last Saturday. I got to listen to the first half, um, getting set up for my game at Southwestern, got to look on the big screen a little bit they had in the press box there at some, a little bit of the second half action, kind of a tale of two halves in that game. Um, KU didn't play very well in the first half, only had one offensive touchdown. Now that Kobe Bryant, oh my gosh. That, that was, a, that that was, was the stupid. cleanest or nastiest <laughs> hit I've ever seen. Yeah, you watch it a jillion times. You know, How is that not flagged? And you look and it was shoulder to shoulder. Um, yeah. Great hit. Um, offensive, you know, they had a, a bad penalty offensively and defensively that extended a BYU drive and killed a KU drive early in that game. But I tell you what, they came out in that second half, got another defensive score in that game, and the offense rolled. And I think what I really, really liked is when they got that possession, I think it was still outside of seven minutes um, when the game was 35-27, still a one-score game. They went on a ball control eat up the clock, eat up the timeouts, and get points drive that finish games. They got down there, kicked a short field goal with about, it was a minute 31, minute 36, somewhere in that neighborhood. A BYU was out of timeouts, had to have two scores, didn't get any more scores. I think that was one of the best things I, I saw and looked at in that game is when they had a chance to finish it offensively, they did. Yeah, and if you look at you know the offensive numbers, uh... You know, Jalen Daniels only threw the ball 19 times, but he completed 14 for 130 yards and three touchdowns. But even more impressive, Scott, they had three guys run for at least 54 yards. Devin Neal for 91, Daniel Hyshaw for 60, Jalen Daniels for 54. And even though he only completed 14 or uh, 14 passes, Scott, Jalen Daniels completed them to six different receivers. So he's still managing to throw it around a little bit. You know, it's it's going to be tough this weekend in Austin. Uh, Scott, let, let's be honest right now. As much as it's painful to say this, Tech, it, you know, Big 12, the Big 12 championship game, obviously, so two teams will get in. I think Texas pretty much is the heavy favorite to nab one of those two. Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I think you're right. Uh, this doesn't feel like Texas teams of the past where they get a big win, they get the hype, and then they just lay an egg um, against somebody. This Texas program this year, it, it, it doesn't feel like that to me. Now, I hope if it's going to happen, obviously, I hope it's this Saturday. Um, do I think the game will certainly be competitive? Yes. Um, KU's had success and played well in Austin the last couple of times down there. Uh, obviously, Texas is going to remember that. Um I do not look for KU to win this game. I just hope when we get into the fourth quarter, we're still like, hey, they're still in this game. Yeah, and I, I do. I agree, Scott. I think this has a potential to be a competitive game. If you know, one thing to not forget is, uh, Oklahoma, or uh, Texas has Oklahoma next week, so you know, Red River is always a big deal. And uh, yeah, I, I do think that Kansas can make this game competitive. Uh, do I expect them to win? No. Do I think it will be double digits? Yes. 
But I can see this going into the fourth quarter, you know, a 31-21 kind of game. And, you know, Kansas has the ball with a chance, you know, to cut it even more or something like that. So uh, I, I do think Kansas can make this one competitive. And then, you know, Scott, if you look at the Kansas schedule, after Texas, is there a single game on there where you think, oh, they're, they're, I don't think they're going to win that one? No, there there isn't. You know, you, I, I'm not that impressed with Oklahoma. I mean, no. Record's good, but you, you see uh, their defense was really good against Cincinnati. Their, their offense left me wanting. Um, no, I mean, there's nothing out there. I mean, UCF would be the next one up. They gave K-State a good ball game, but you're not. there's not a game coming up you think that KU wouldn't be favored in or would be kind of a pick'em game if, you, if, you, if they were to play those games right now. Yeah, I think, um, you know, after the Texas game, I think UCF, just another one of those, just another one of those swing games. Uh, and frankly, I mean, if you look at their schedule, Oklahoma State, swing game. Oklahoma and Lawrence, swing game. Iowa State, is, if that was in Lawrence, I wouldn't say it's a swing game, but it's in Ames, so I will say it's a swing game. Texas Tech has been a bitter disappointment this year. That's in Lawrence, swing game. K-State, I think, is a little – I don't think they're going to recapture the magic and go back to the Big 12 championship game this year. Uh, they're having some quarterback problems. Uh, Will Howard just not really doing it like he has in the past. Uh, that's a swing game. So I, I don't think there's any re- – I'm not saying Kansas is going to go 11-1 and or anything, but as a Jayhawk fan, you have to be dreaming a little bit right now. Well, you know, you and I both thought this kind of felt like maybe a 6-6 six and six season when it started, but they got the Illinois and BYU wins. You know, those were out of the first four – the three non-con in the first conference game, you thought, you know, at minimum, you really needed to be three and one to, to, to make sure that you were going to have a real legitimate shot to be bowl eligible. Well, they went four and up, um, you know, so let's say if they, they do lose to Texas, come back home, they could beat UCF with the schedule after that at five and one. Oh, surely, Brad, there would be at least two, three plus more wins out there. Yeah. I, I'm clearly excited if they stay healthy. I mean, that's that's the key for most teams, um, certainly for KU. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do, um, how they come out this week, and then how they respond at home against UCF. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's got a potential to be uh, a pretty special season here for the Jayhawks. Uh, but with so many swing games, as you and I have said many times, uh, there's a reason they're swing games. It means you could lose them as easily as you can win them. Absolutely. So again, it's uh, KU and Texas this weekend. And also this weekend, the Chiefs will be back in action, Brad, after just a complete dismantling of the Chicago Bears this last weekend. Um, I think the biggest concern you came out of this game and it looked like it wasn't a big deal was Mahomes kind of getting that uh, back of his foot ankle kind of rolled up on um, when the first half ended, and once they made that nice drive for a touchdown um, to start the, the third quarter, he, he was told to uh, go get a ball cap. Your day's done. Um, highly, uh, I guess the other concern I'd come out to, Brad, is uh, Blaine Gabbert completed almost as many passes to the other team as he did his own team, um, the backup for the Chiefs. But other than that, uh, that defense just made life miserable for Justin Fields and the Bears all day. That was a it was a pretty dominant effort by the Chiefs. 
Yeah, it really was. Uh, I mean, the Bears are terrible. Uh, boy, has speaking of the Bears, has there been a bigger toilet bowl in NFL history than with the Bears playing the Broncos this weekend? Rhetorical question. But, yeah, you know, it, the, the way the Chiefs' defense is playing right now, you really got to be excited. Uh, not only are they playing well, it's young, Scott. This is a young unit right now. You know, George Kaloftis and all the, you know, McDuffie, all those kind of guys are really young and coming into their own. Willie Gay, I mean, so many good defensive players that are really maturing and making plays. And gosh, dare I say it, is, is Patrick Mahomes in this offense going to have a top 10 defense this year? Well, they very well could. It is playing, they're playing extremely well, and they're still what the, the youngest or second youngest or something defense in the league. So there's no reason to think that this defense is going to just continue uh, to get better. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, Brad, are the officials targeting Jawan Taylor? Yes. As far, I mean, the, Randy Reed said, you know, there was a, a big deal made before this came out that, you know, they pulled Jawan Taylor out of the game and replaced him. And they said, well, no, it wasn't a demotion uh, or uh, it was an experiment. Of, it was an experiment and they, they to put other tackles in actually lined him up a little bit further in the backfield. And guess what? No flag. No flag. Yeah. What, what, what do you, what do you do once a guy's got now granted that first game against the lions, uh, he should have been flagged a couple of times for lining up in the backfield. Granted, obviously you needed to watch that a little closer, but Brad, they're throwing flags on a guy that's not committing a penalty on a regular basis in that game. Um, what, what do you, what can you do to stop that once that has started? Well, I think first thing you need to do is you need to get clarification from the NFL and just say, Hey, what's going on here? You know, our, what, what, what is between, what is the difference between this, which we've been flagged for and this, which we're not getting flagged for explain it to us. Like we're five. I think that's what they got to do. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you got to go to the official and say, Hey, look, here's, here's the film from, we looked at the film from last week. Guys, we put in there the same position. We're lined up the same way or even a little further off of the, the, the plane that they have to break. I think that's the center's belt buckle or waist when they're in their stance. Um, you guys need to, to, to lay off of this a little bit, I mean, or at least given the benefit of the doubt. And I, I think they have to approach – I think they're going to have to go to each officiating staff on a weekly basis until this stops. Yeah, they're going to have to either the consistency has got to be there where it's flagged for everybody or they got to back off trailer. They just essentially say, okay, you know, we made our point. Let's get back to regular football now. Any concerns going to the Meadowlands to play a Jets team that offensively is just in turmoil with uh, Zach Wilson playing uh, very poorly since Aaron Rodgers' injury? The one thing, concern i have brad with them going this being on the road the jets do have a very good defense um i could see them if they go out a little lackadaisical um somebody blows an assignment defensively wilson gets a pass over the top gets a little confidence that they could get into a dog fight that way i don't see that but that that's kind of in the back of your mind this week well, sure, and you never, you know, take anything for granted in the, in the NFL week to week. You just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you, you just don't. I mean, Zach Wilson, like you said, he could he could uh, set him on fire this week. We just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, if I were a betting man, I would bet that you know it's going to be one of those 
never the, the Chiefs are never really pulling away, but the Jets aren't really in it either. You know, halftime the Chiefs are up seventeen to seven. Jets get a field goal to start the third quarter. Chiefs answer with a touchdown. It's twenty four ten. Just kind of goes back and forth the rest of the way. You know, not not much really in it. So. Uh, I, I do expect the Chiefs to win this one, you know, comfortably, but you know, it's not going to be a blowout or anything like that either. Yeah, I, I, I think they do as well. This is one of those that you have to win. I mean, it's just um, a game that appeared that was going to be a really, really tough road trip when the schedule came out that um, has lightened up a little bit with the Rodgers injury. Got to take care of those. But like you said in the NFL, because um, you were completely right, I was sucked in with the Cowboys as they lay an egg. At the- <laughs> Hard. I'm sorry, Scott. I'm sorry. <laughs> and they do it to me every year. And uh, <laughs> I, I am at the point, Brad, and I, I hadn't been there. <laughs> is Dak Prescott the, the, the bad cog in this machine? Is, is he the reason that they will not get to the promised land? <sighs> Gosh, that's such a good question, Scott. Um, how old is he? Uh, Dak has got to be, I want to say he's got to be 30, 31. Yeah, in he's he's got to be older than Mahomes, and Mahomes is 28. So, yeah. I mean, with all due respect, I mean, if he had been like to three straight NFC champion or two, you know, two NFC championship games in four years and they lost them both, close game, okay, you can say, okay, he, he's just, just a few plays away. But, there, but he hasn't. Now it's obviously not just Dak Prescott. It's not. It's never that black and white. But um, I just don't. I I I don't know. To answer your question, no, I don't think he is. Uh, is he good enough to? He, okay, let, 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 let me put it this way, Scott. Dak Prescott is good enough to win you some games, but he's also bad enough to lose you some games. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I I see a lot of people thinking that. With that defense, he he's gonna he's gonna be the solution or the dissolution um, of this season. He certainly was uh, this solution did not play well at all um, against the Cardinals. We'll see how they rebound this week, but uh, it, that wasn't a good look. Also, not a good look, which you know what you already alluded to sets up the toilet bowl this week. The Dolphins hanging seventy on the Broncos this last week and I'm keeping my laughs to myself at this point because it couldn't have happened um, to a better team and also uh, for the Dolphins choosing to run the clock out where Brad they were in field goal range pretty makeable field goal range to score the most points ever in an NFL game and they chose not to Um, I think that I think it goes a long ways towards uh, credibility there not intentionally doing that but, uh, boy, Russell Wilson, Broncos, was something major changes, I think, coming to the Broncos, if not in season, certainly after this season. And, you know, they're on the hook for a long time with that Wilson contract. They're on the hook a long time with, uh, with Sean Payton. They gave a first-round draft pick, I think, for that. Uh, Scott, I have a friend who's a big Buffalo Bills fan, and he's kind of likening the, the Broncos right now to the post-Wade Phillips uh uh, Buffalo Bills, you know, kind of they had their Super Bowl runs with uh, Marva Levy and then they, you know, kind of hung around for a little bit. You know, they were competitive and then they just kind of fell into the abyss where, you know, five to seven wins per year for 15 years. 
And so that's, they, that's, that's where the Broncos are headed right now. That's they're headed, headed to just, you know, year after year of mediocrity. And, Scott, you know, I was born in 77. I have never known an NFL where the Broncos were not essentially one of the model franchises. And I say this as someone who hates the Broncos more than any other team in the NFL. So let's, <laughs> let's, let, let's, let's give them credit, though. You know, they went to how many Super Bowls under Elway? And some of those teams that Elway took to the Super Bowl were not very good. I think he took him to what five Super Bowls. He lost his first three, won his last two. Correct. And even and even after be, between Elway and Manning, they still had some decent teams with like Brian Greasy, Jake Plummer took him. They yep. both took him to an AFC Championship game. Tim Tebow won a playoff game. So even between Elway and Manning, they still had some good teams there. And then, of course, they won. They went to a couple more Super Bowls with Manning. So it's just weird to me seeing. The Denver Broncos in such disarray. Scott, am I wrong to say that the right now the that the Las Vegas Raiders are not just a better team but a better franchise? Wow. Yes. I, I think you have to. I mean, like you said, they're in the abyss with those contracts they've got out there. They're just not gonna have capital to be able, unless they can get some steals in the draft later rounds that turn out to be superstars. They just don't have the capital to, to bring in pieces that they need. And they are, they are really bad right now. And I, where's that, do you know where the game is between Denver and Chicago? It's in, I think it's at Chicago. The, does the, do the bears actually win that game? The bears are really bad, Scott. They are. <laughs> they're, they're, they're really bad. I mean, I'd like to think, that you know that the Broncos still have enough, and Wilson, frankly, has put up some decent numbers this year. It's been more the defense, but that also gives me concern that the Broncos are so bad defensively. Is Justin Fields going to have one of those days where you're like, "Aha, see, here he comes"? Uh, are these the two worst teams in the league playing each other right now? Maybe not from a talent perspective. I mean, I think the Bears are probably, even from a talent perspective, probably one of the worst two or three teams in the league i don't think from a town perspective denver is a bottom two or three team uh i'm not sure they're a bottom five team to be honest with you but right now as it stands these are these are the two worst teams as they are right now in the nfl yeah probably won't be a lot of people tuning into that game on <laughs> sunday hopefully that's not the the featured game on uh, cbs or fox this weekend we, we will see Somebody, well, I'm not going to say that necessarily. A tie is a possibility. Would that be the best? Oh, that would be. I I can remember, you and I are both old enough, Brad, to remember when the pre-Bill Snyder era at K-State, when it would have been probably the early 80s. 87, it was 87. When uh, they came in as two of the worst programs in the nation and there was a blocked field goal on the last play of the game and they tied. And I think, I think one team was winless and the other team had one win and they played and neither team could win. That was just kind of the crowning blow uh, (laughs) that season for Jayhawk and Wildcat fans that, well, at least we're going to get a win. I guess we're not. We tied. (laughs) Uh, Wouldn't happen now, but back then um, that was it. Regulation was it. And they ended up tying, so uh, maybe maybe the Bears and the Broncos will tie this weekend, and then we can have a really good laugh at their expense. A uh, couple of baseball items I have for you, Brad. I'm going to kind of 
one, one a little trivia for you, and then a history-making moment as well. Which one do you want first? Let's go uh, trivia. All right. September 20th, 1998. You recall what legendary streak ended on September 20th, 1998? Probably two. It wasn't Cal Ripken, was it? It was. Okay. 2,632 straight games played in came to an end on that day at the request of Cal Ripken himself. He was he was initially penciled in to be in the lineup and um, told the manager at that time to go ahead and scratch him that it was time at home to end the streak. Uh, just an amazing – there's unbreakable records, Brad, and then there's, there's records that you're not even going to talk about ever being broken because th- there's nobody. I mean, this will never – I don't think anybody will ever get half there, halfway there. Be, with days off, uh, load management, the injuries that guys will, will sit and not aggregate further. Uh, do you think this will – anybody will – ever come within a whisper of this record not as uh, baseball as these days first of all like you kind of alluded to too much money involved with these mega stars you know whether it's bobby witt or someone else you know albert pujols or uh, mike trout i mean there's just too much money involved with them and you know if, you know mike trout gets a fastball right on the right on the knee and, uh, you know, not, nothing serious, but, you know, maybe he needs just a couple of days to recoup from it or, you know, and, and frankly, you know, life happens sometimes, you know, maybe, you know, there's a, a player whose wife is delivering a child or maybe there's a death, you know, one of the parents and just something like that happens and they need some time off to go to, to deal with that. So, you yeah. know, not, not, not just injury, but life happens as well. So I, I just no, I, I mean, if anyone got within, you know, 1500 games. Uh, I, I'd be surprised. Yeah, because that would be playing in in a thousand straight. And I just, I just, if there's two professional sports records, Brad, that I would, I would bet the farm on never be broken. It would be this one and Wilt's 100 points in an NBA game. Yeah, you'd probably throw Joe DiMaggio's 56 on there too. Uh yeah, because I what the closest to that was what Pete Rose got to 44. 44. I want to say 45. That didn't sound right. And yeah, I don't, I think that would be another good one, but yeah, that was the, the streak ended back in September 20th of 1998. And the other history making, Brad, this has never been done in major league baseball. They have the first 40, 70 man, 40 home runs, 70 steals Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves set that mark I think this happened just a day or two ago he got his 70th steal he already had the home runs um, over 40 but got his 70th steal that is again in the modern era um, that's pretty incredible (laughs) yeah I I was you know think about this you know there was no 40-40 man until um Jose Canseco, I believe, right? And of course, he was roided up. So, not sure how much <laughs> how serious he can take that. But uh, you know, we were witness to some great players back in the day that could have challenged for forty forty and never did. Eric Davis, Daryl Strawberry, Bo Jackson. You know, guys. Who, and just, just yeah, Griffey. Just think about how just think about how hard forty forty is. 
yeah, the, that I saw that, and it's like, wow, 40 and 70, uh, Acuna Jr. And the Braves, again, division winners. Would this be a, a, a shocking statement, Brad, that the, the Braves, quite possibly in the modern era, and I'm even, I'm even throwing the Yankees into this, are they the best regular season team franchise in modern baseball with all of those division titles? Yeah, you're definitely making the argument. I'd be kind of curious how the Twins look, too, because uh, the Twins since 87 don't – or they had, I guess they won one in 91, too. Uh, you know, the Twins have just had a pretty good run of uh, regular season success, too. But absolutely, you know, with Braves, all those uh, division championships under Bobby Cox and winning the World Series in last year, and um, it's uh, it, 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 the consistency there is quite incredible. Yeah, I, I know – the postseason success, obviously, you know, you mentioned last year, but it, during all those other runs they made, only one championship. I mean, that's yep. why you throw them in as the greatest French modern day franchise, just because they didn't bring home the championships. But it just seems like you know they've had the they had that that run. Then there was another run in there with the Chipper Jones kind of era, and it just feels like that they're back to being that dominant team that you're, you're just going to have to deal with every year. Yeah. I, I kind of wish we could figure out how they do this, or at least how the Royals could figure out how Tampa Bay does it. But uh, you know, the thing about, you know, with Kansas basketball, all those years was, you know, never won the title, but you know, you can't win a title in, unless you get to the dance. And even though Roy Williams never won a title like Kansas, you know, he at least put him in that position. So even though the Braves may not have the championships that maybe the Yankees have, or even, you know, like the Red Sox or the Cardinals have, uh, you can't, you can't win a title unless you get to the dance and they're there so much. They are. And um, boy, they sure could, they sure could win one this year as well. Um, I was just taking a quick glance before we, we move on. Um, we haven't talked about the Royals much. The season, mercifully, is about over for Kansas City, sitting at 54-104. and 104. So that means, Brad, they have four games remaining. Franchise worst is 106 losses. So if they go 2-2 two and two in their remaining four games, they would match that. 1-3 and three would or worse, would set the record. Three and one would avoid tying or breaking the record um, for worst Royals team ever. What do you, what do you foresee? I'm sure we'll talk about this next week um, in the last few games for the Royals. Do you think they're gonna, you think they're gonna set the mark? Oh, you have to play the odds, don't you? Although they have, uh, they've had had some decent stretches in the last five or six weeks, but um, it's just been a miserable season for the Royals. Really, not a lot of positives except for maybe Bobby Wood and that one pitcher. His name escapes me right now, who uh, did very well in August, especially. But uh, it's just been an absolute disaster. Lost to the Tigers, eight nothing tonight. And even the worst thing about it, Scott, is they're not even going to get the number one pick in the draft next year. Mm. And I actually, uh, I, I apologize. I stand corrected. It's one oh five now. That just updated. It hadn't updated from the loss tonight so they actually have three games remaining um have to go two and one to avoid it or better one and two or oh and three would set the record just trying to see 
who those last games are currently playing Detroit. Who are these last three? Oh boy. Who, uh, Teehee also missing the playoffs this year. That's fantastic for baseball in my opinion, but we'll, we'll get back to the Royals next week. Um, and see if we can come up with a solution. It's just, it's just a, it feels like a, a quagmire that we're not going to see the bottom of for some time. It just feels kind of hopeless right now as Royals fans. So uh, that is the rest of our regular topics. So we'll move on to your final thoughts. Well, got some, I guess he's, I guess there's no way to say it. Some bad news tonight from uh, JL conference athletics. Fort Scott Community College just continues to show that, gosh, I mean, I, I can't, I mean, they, they cut football a couple of years ago, and that was kind of a shocker because, you know, Fort Scott's got a proud tradition. They've got some national championships. I mean, heck, they played for the national championship in 2009. So it's not wow. like they're, they're that far removed. Now they don't even have a football program. Scott, they made the announcement today that they have suspended their women's basketball program for the season. Wow. Before it even started. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's what? It's still September, man. And uh, I don't think they can even play a game until November, but I know you got to, I know you got to plan and, you know, contracts and, and, and give essentially your opponents, especially a non conference player, the chance to maybe schedule somebody else. But um, that's a little late for that. Yeah. Uh, so basically, just reading this thread from uh, Scott Newsom, who spent, who spent a lot of years as a Vort Scott sports editor. Uh, said essentially that new new coaching staff came in over the summer. And it looks like that some of the players who came in were kind of promised things by the old coaching staff. And, well, that didn't happen. A lot of the girls showed up to campus, and they're like, I don't want to be a part of this now. So they were down to five scholarship players. And I guess the, the new coaching staff uh, told the administration, hey, give us a chance maybe to recruit some players from the student body or maybe from other athletics that maybe can, you know, play. Maybe we can get up to eight or nine players and still have a season. And they agreed to that. But then they lost another scholarship player. They're down to four scholarship players. So essentially the administration essentially said, look, this isn't good for anybody. Uh, You you know, you're going to be starting a player every game who is not a scholarship basketball player. This isn't going to end well for for us, so they have a, they have suspended the basketball program or women's basketball program for this season. It makes me sad because you know there's some girls there, um, well at least four, who came there with you know hopes and dreams of you know playing their favorite sport in college. And frankly, Scott, if you're one of those four players, are you coming back to Fort Scott next year? Oh, I'm I'm gone by the semester. Yeah, I'm probably I, I completely agree with you. I'm probably gone at the semester through no fault of the new coaching staff. They came in and probably did the best that they could. <sighs> now, basketball, of course, isn't quite as difficult to build a a roster as maybe football is. Uh, new coaching staff, you got to give them a chance. But you know, I, sometimes I worry about the state of some of these JUCOs in Kansas, especially Fort Scott. I mean, you cut the football program. You know, Independence is another one. They 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 recently cut their baseball program to help pay for football, and now you got women's basketball. You know, taking a leave of absence for this season. Uh, it it just it just makes me sad because you know I love Jayhawk Conference. I love the I love the 
the JUCO route. I did it. My daughter did it. And I've been covering it, you know, for 20 years about. And I, I, I'm a big fan of it. And it just it just makes me sad to see the state of some of these uh, sports in college and some of the colleges in Kansas. I mean, Fort Scott is just, I hate to say it, man, they're a dumpster fire right now. Boy, and it just kind of feels like, and, and we've seen it happen, and surprisingly enough, that another step towards closing. Um, we've seen a few of the JUCOs and um, NAI schools close over the last few years, just um, pure financial um, doldrums. They just couldn't dig out of it. And boy, when you start cutting programs like that, because you have to realize that um, there goes the student body starts to go down when you do that. And um, obviously football is more significant as far as numbers of kids you're losing, but any additional programs, Brad, and that, I don't know, then, then you fear for the school itself as a whole. Right. And, you know, obviously I think that they would have every intention on bringing back women's basketball next year. Uh, you hope anyway, but you know, if they make the decision to say, okay, we can no longer sustain women's basketball. Now you run into a title nine issue. Now you got to cut a men's sport somewhere along the way. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I just think it's just been a slew of bad decisions, one after another in Fort Scott. They've kind of dug their own grave, I think, too many times. And it's really unfortunate because they're out good in some, some sports. They're, they're very good in, um, in baseball. They've had some yes. good cross-country teams before. As a matter of fact, the current Hutch coach uh, did some great work at Fort Scott of all places. So, it's just, uh, you know, I don't know what the future holds for some of these programs like Fort Scott. I mean, you look at some of these other small JUCOs, you know, Highland uh, always seems to be thriving. You know, Coffeeville seems to always be thriving. Independence has kind of hit and miss every now and then. But, uh, you know, I just wonder about the, the, the viability, you know, of a Fort Scott Community College right now. I mean, there's no other way, there's no other way to say it. I just worry about the future viability of Fort Scott Community College. Uh, I would as well. That's just, boy. That's uh, maybe, I don't know if it's strike two, but it's uh, certainly one and a half, but possibly strike two, and they better, it's, they're going to have to tighten things up or it could get a lot worse. It's uh, it's strike one looking and then a foul ball. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that is very unfortunate news out of the Jayhawk conference. Uh, I'm going to go, Brad, w- would you agree that in society today, Brad, we're a, uh, a group, if, if, if one person out of a group of 100 is um, offended by something that we go completely berserk, overboard, get rid of, um, completely change something because of one person when the other 99 people um, aren't offended by it, would you agree a society's kind of become that way? Well, since you started saying that, I was trying to come up with a quick, a quick example, and I, I couldn't, unfortunately, but yes. Well, I saw an very interesting um, article a couple of days ago that has to do with the Washington football team, now Commanders. Um, they have are being sued by a group, NAGA, for short, Native American Guardians Association. This group of Native Americans is suing the current commanders and people associated with them. They are trying to get the Redskin logo and name back on the helmets, all the team gear, and become what they had always been known by since being in Washington as the Washington 
Redskins, and they actually are saying that the old logo um, was an actual person depicted on the helmet named Chief White Calf. Um, so they are currently in um, beginning litigation, trying to get the name back. What I was reading, it's it's unlikely that the commanders will ever change the name back. But I've also heard that they were thinking about changing the commanders to something new as well. I mean, Washington with the Dan Snyder whole fiasco is kind of kind of a mess right now. But is we saw it with the Cleveland Indians. Now the the Cleveland. Well, they're the Guardians, aren't they? See, yep. That's a yep. interesting. The Native American Guardians Association there, but is this one of those cases that the Washington and all those people basically listen to a very small fraction of Native Americans or special interest groups that brought pressure and didn't actually? listen to the group as a whole as to really what they wanted. Do you think that could truly be the case here again, what we've seen so often recently? Well, I don't claim to be an expert on what's happening with, uh, with Washington and all their name change and all that. I mean, obviously you pay attention to that, but you know, I don't claim to know the ins and outs. I do think that Dan Snyder did himself no favors ever as one of the least likable owners in, uh, in the NFL. And I think, uh, Oftentimes he was probably an easy target through his own, through his own doing. And so stuff like this can happen, you know, because he's just an easy target because it brings it all on himself. So, you know, I, I, I don't claim to know everything that happened with Washington, but I do know that if we look at the example of the Kansas city chiefs that, you know, they, they've kind of done away with a lot of the native references, you know, they don't allow native headdresses in anymore. They, they got rid of war paint, the horse, uh, and really other than the tomahawk chop, they don't really have any kind of Native American um, imagery, I guess you could say, right? So Clark Hunt has done a pretty good job, I think, of reaching out to the Native American community and working with them. Florida State's been very good about that as well, working with the Seminole tribe. I think as long as you've got that conversation going, you know, where, where you're working with the native leaders and, and experts that work with the, the, the native cultures and all that. And again, that's something that Clark has been very good about that. I don't know if Dan Snyder did stuff like that or not, but Florida state's another good example. Then I think that, you know, you don't really hear too much about, Oh, the chiefs need to change their name. Yeah, you hear it a little bit. Yeah, but not a ton. And I think that's just, I think that's the key is that to keep those, the, the lines of communication going. Well, that, the, the group that I wanted to hear from is the Native Americans. I want, I want to hear from multiple different tribes that are in the, the United States that, that make up the Native American population. And it just felt like when all this was going on leading up to the name change, that was, that was, the, that was the minority of the people you were hearing from. It just didn't seem to me as though they went to what should be the source of of the friction or the, the groups that wanted and uh, precipitating the change. It just didn't feel like that. And maybe that's what this uh, Native American Guardians Association is trying to point out. Hey, you really didn't think this through, talk to the right people. And, and I, again, I don't think there, there's also suing for damages and this, there, there's a lot more to it than we can get into 
Um, I don't think we'll ever see a change back to um, the Washington Redskins. I, I just I found it fascinating and just wondered if this was kind of a product of the society we live in. Oh, I don't, I don't think the product of the society that we live in, I don't think there's any doubt about that. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we always kind of feel like we're on eggshells for, you know, for <laughs> if you're getting canceled or whatever. But, yeah, I don't think I, I don't have any doubt that that probably played uh, some somewhat into it, at least. So, well, so anything comes of that, we will bring it up at a later date. You know, the way litigation works, it could be. Uh, literally years before something is decided. So again, the, the entire schedule for Ad Astra for this weekend up at adastraradio.com. Um, Jayhawks, everybody in action this weekend, and we'll be back next time to break it all down. But for tonight's View from the Press Box, for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you next week.